So I'm embarrassed to tell you a little story about something that happened to me early on in my priesthood when I was in my first assignment at Our Lady of Grace in Greensboro. And it was a time on a Sunday morning at the early Mass that I was really nervous to preach the homily that day. And I remember that it was in March, and like I said, more than 10 years ago, And I know it was in March because it was during the time of March Madness. And Greensboro very often kind of hosts at least part of the NCAA men's basketball tournament. And that year, Greensboro was. And I got word the night before that someone would be at Mass that next morning, and that person was Dick Vitale. And here's the thing, and I've learned in the last two Masses, I probably need to tell some of you who Dick Vitale is. I just kind of assumed everybody knew who that was. He's the guy, you know, he's very excited come March Madness time. He's a basketball commentator, and he ends most sentences with the word baby. So Dick Vitale was going to be there at Mass, and I'm embarrassed to tell you that I was nervous. Like, I don't really get why, but it's like, oh my gosh, it's Dick Vitale, you know? He's going to be at the mess. And I don't know what I expected to happen, but, you know, here's this guy of relative fame, although I found out relative infamy, too, because some people really don't like him, I found out. Um, But he was there at the mess, and I was, like, kind of nervous about it. And I bring it up because... You know, just in reflecting in the second reading for today, my brothers and sisters, says St. James, show no partiality as you adhere to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing. Like, I don't think I showed him all sorts of partiality, right? Like, I didn't say, like, oh, Mr. Vital, please have my seat. In fact, we didn't even ask him for money. You know, like, there he is. He's there. And we didn't, like, treat him differently, but I was kind of nervous when he was there. And as you think about it, and you know, as we come into contact with all sorts of different people, it's tough. It's tough not to show partiality. And we need the perfect one to show us what it is not to show that partiality, right? And we have it in Jesus Christ. And you look at the gospel today and the beautiful way in which he exemplifies his love for each and every one of us. And especially as we look at it in the context of all of chapter 7 of the Gospel of Mark. Last week we started chapter 7, and you'll remember it began with Jesus is in Capernaum, and some Pharisees and scribes came up from Jerusalem. And that's a big deal, you know, it's like they're coming up from the capital of everything, from the seat of where, you know, the head of the faith is. When they're coming from Jerusalem to Capernaum, that's a big deal. And they come, and if you remember during the gospel last week, what's the first thing they notice? Why do your disciples not wash their hands, right? And what does Jesus respond with? To these guys who have big influence, who influence the people in a big way. And he says to them, you hypocrites, right? He says, well did Isaiah prophesy about you that your lips honor me, but your hearts are far from me. And then he went on to talk about how important it is to have our hearts be purified. That it's not what comes into the body that makes us impure, but what comes out from the heart. Evil thoughts. And then he gave us that list of 12 things. So he sort of raised the bar. It's like, hey folks, yes, fine, wash your hands. But like our life is about so much more than just clean hands. It's about having hearts that are close to God and free from the impurities of sin. 
So he has that, and then, right after that, he moves into the district of Tyre and Sidon, as we kind of hear at the beginning of the gospel today, and it's that kind of famous incident where the Syrophoenician woman comes up and begs Jesus to cure her daughter who's back home, who's possessed, and Jesus says, it's not right to take the food from the children and throw it to the dogs, and the woman says, yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat from the scraps of the table, and he says, oh, woman, great is your faith. Your daughter is cured. Now, remember this daughter not present. She's back home and Jesus cures her, right? And this is a pagan woman. He's out of Israel. He's out of the normal territory. He's curing someone who's not even there for a pagan woman of basically no consequence that the apostles are trying to send away. Then we have today's gospel. Moves into the pagan region of the Decapolis and it's actually kind of out of the way and the scholars sort of point this out like, why would he go that way? Well, Apparently, he's looking for this man, right? They bring him the man who's deaf, who can't speak. He has a speech impediment. What does Jesus do? Takes him off by himself. Takes care of this man by moving away from the crowd. There's this personal encounter. And you talk about a physical one, too. This is the only one of the Gospels that gives us this account. And look at all the things that Jesus does. Besides taking him away, puts his finger into the man's ear, spitting and touches his tongue, looks up to heaven, groans, and says, Ephatha, right? That our Lord is right there with the man, doing all of these very physical things, touching him. And what's the deal with spitting, right? I mean, there it is. Well, you look at this, and in the context of who he is, the second person, the most holy trinity, God himself, the word incarnate, And you think about the tradition of how man is formed in the beginning, in the book of Genesis, right? That God forms man from the dust of the earth and then makes him out of clay. Well, dust doesn't just become clay on its own, right? I mean, think of the analogy of going to the beach. You can't make a sandcastle without a little bit of liquid, right? It's the same thing with the dust. And the tradition is from the rabbis, from the scholars of the Old Testament, that God spits onto the dust of the earth and formed man out of the clay. And Jesus Christ, the Word of God, you think about how we speak, right? When your mouth is dry, you're not doing a lot of speaking. You see God himself reforming this man of this clay, so to speak, right? Cleansing his ears, reforming his tongue, that now he's able to hear, he's able to speak. And you see the way that our Lord is so concerned with him, groaning to God, wanting this fulfillment for this man, wanting this man to be who who he was created to be. And I love the detail, too, that St. Mark gives to us. Only three times in the Gospel of Mark do we have Jesus' words in Aramaic, just sort of like the common language of the day, right? Here he says, Ephatha, but he also said when he rose the little girl from the dead, he said, Talitha kum. Little girl, I say to you, arise. And he also says from the cross, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We have these three times that St. Mark gives us the literal word that Jesus said in the instant. And you see this, him having this encounter with this man, death, and having the speech impediment. And notice this. Where's the public relations, right? Like he's doing it off to the side. And even when people can see, holy cow, this guy can hear and speak again. And they want to tell everybody, he says, don't tell anyone. 
Isn't it interesting? And the way that that works, and the way that our Lord is not just out to try to get all kinds of, you know, more, more and bigger crowds, right? Trying to draw everybody in, like we got to build up the success and build up the bank account. No. What is he doing? He's fulfilling what's going on that the prophet Isaiah said in the first reading. There's so many incredible things that Isaiah predicts, but the one that I love is right there at the beginning. With divine recompense, he comes to save you. Think about that. He comes to save you. This isn't just some sort of like general blanket, we gotta build up the movement in a big way in the most efficient way possible. No. He works without partiality. He goes for each individual person, loving them completely. I mean, compare this back to how stupid it is that I was nervous when Dick Vitale was there, right? And I know it's a dumb analogy, but just bear with me. So, there's Dick Vitale, and I'm nervous as I'm preaching. Why? Like, what do I expect to gain from Dick Vitale? Do I think he's going to come up after Mass and be like, wow, that was a heck of a homily. We want you to join the broadcasting team at CBS. Okay, no. I mean, besides the fact that I wouldn't be very good, I don't know that much about basketball statistics, and I had just signed on as a priest, right? It's probably not going to happen. Like, I don't know what I expect to gain from this man. And don't get me wrong, I got nothing against Dick Vitale. I'm glad he was there at Mass that day. But why be nervous, you know? Like, and I think in some ways too, it's like, okay, even if it was from the perspective of the gospel, like, oh, I befriend Dick Vitale, he'll help us spread the good news. Well, probably not. I mean, God bless him. Hope he does really well. But at the same time, you look at the way that Jesus does this. It's not like, oh, we got to get the, the Pharisees from Jerusalem on board so they can help us spread the message. No. He goes a person at a time, and very physically, right? That you look at all the things that he's doing, and that continues on to this day. It's not as though, well, I can just kind of go off and be by myself and spiritually commune with God. No. He gives us the sacraments for a reason. We are embodied spirits. The physicality is important. We encounter him in the Eucharist under the forms of bread and wine. We encounter him in the sacraments when, for example, anointing the sick, there's a laying on of hands, there's an anointing on the forehead and the palms of your hands with holy oil, blessed by the bishop. And you go to confession and there is that encounter one-on-one -on -one with the priest standing in for Christ. He comes to us one by one. Is that efficient? No, not really. I mean, anybody who's waited in line for confession knows this. It is not an efficient system. However, what he's after is you, right? He doesn't just want what you have to offer. It's not just like, oh, you're here and you can help build us up in this way or that. No. Ultimately, what he wants is for your happiness, your fulfillment, your wholeness. And this is the beautiful thing too. And partially why I think he tells them not to tell anyone about this healing. It's not just the physical healing, although that's important. And it does happen. I mean, we have canonized saints, and part of the proof process is people being healed physically. And yet, we know deep down within us that that's not all that there is. How many of us here can walk just fine, right? We can walk out of the church later today, we can go for a run in this beautiful weather. But how often do we think, man, I need to do better things with the way that I walk to better glorify God? We just don't do it that often. And even if we do, our legs are going to wear out someday, right? What God ultimately wants for us is union with him and love of one another. 
He wants us to be completely unified with him, free of all of those evil thoughts he talked about last week in the heart. Because as we get rid of those, we find peace, we find happiness, we find healing. And the beautiful thing is, is God shows no partiality, as St. James said. He wants that for all of us. Be we Dick Vital or be we the poor guy on the street, it really doesn't matter. He's created you. He's come to save you. And this isn't just about what you can do for him, but he is coming to have that relationship with you. And finally, what I would say is just to look at this beautiful miracle and how glorious it is that the way that he does this is by curing his ears and his tongue, right? To be able to hear that word and take it into our heart that our Lord has come to save you, to love you, to give you that peace and that freedom from fear that Isaiah is predicting that we're all made for, that flourishing, that love, that you may hear it and hold it in your heart. And then, better than just broadcasting it over TV, to be able to talk about it one-on-one, with the people in your life, with the people you encounter, to tell them that we have reason not to be afraid, that we have reason to know that we are called the fulfillment because our Lord has come to save you. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever.